Well, about a month ago, I uh, returned from uh, almost a two-week trip to the Philippines. It was a wonderful uh, missions experience. I've talked a little bit about that, but I don't know if you've ever had uh, uh, much experience traveling or eating foods in a different culture or even dealing with like traveler sickness or anything like that, but I really did well. I was really careful to watch what it was I was going to eat and drink and everything. And so uh, on the day that I was to return to the United States, uh, I, I, I just been, it had just been great. I, in fact, had even been able to run uh, while I was in uh, the Philippines because I'm kind of getting ready for this um, uh, marathon that's coming. Sarah's doing the marathon. I'm doing the half marathon. I'm 26. It's like, no way. But she's a Amazon, my beautiful wife. Um, anyway... <laughs> She is. She's tough. She did 14 miles yesterday. I took a nap. Um, So I was getting ready to leave Manila, and in fact, I Skyped with her, and that was a great feature, having the little laptop there, and she was, you know, seeing me, and I was seeing her, and where she was, and there, and and I said, I'm on my way home, I'll be home in, you know, about 20-some-odd hours, and so uh, I was feeling really good, I had things packed away, I had, uh, you know, I had some traveler's medication, I thought, I don't need this, I'm going to check this in my luggage, and it's going to go into the belly of the jet. And so uh, from Manila to Tokyo is about four and a half hours. And about halfway to Tokyo, my stomach started feeling a little funny. And uh, I thought, eh, this is nothing. You know, I'm just excited to be home because I miss my wife and I'm, I miss you and I'm ready to come home. And then about three hours into the trip, my stomach was really feeling funny. And then uh, when I landed in Tokyo, it was not funny anymore. I can tell you that right now. And I just kind of stumbled off the plane, and there was a four-hour layover in Tokyo. And I got to tell you, that was the longest four hours that I feel like I've ever spent in any airport. I mean, I was really, really getting sick, and, and I was getting, I was starting to sweat, and I was getting chills, and I was, you know, sweating and chills and feverish, and 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 and, 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 and I'm there at the gate, and you know, I'm kind of, I've just decided to take my carry-on and kind of make it into a pillow. I'm just going to lay down on those seats because I've got four hours to go. And my biggest fear was falling asleep there at the gate. And while people were marching onto the plane, I missed the plane. And that would have been really bad. But I was just, I was just nauseous. And I finally said, I got to go to a drugstore. I need help. And that's where it dawned on me, I can't read a lick of Japanese. I, mean, I am in trouble. I'm thinking, all right, this is just, oh, I, I want to be home. Lord Jesus, come now, please rescue me. And finally, when it was time for me to get on board the plane, you know, you get on board the plane and you greet the flight attendant that's there and everything. And they say, you know, welcome aboard. Can I help you with anything? And, you know, 99% of the people say, no, I'm glad to be here. Show me my seat, you know. Well, my turn came up and, hi, can I help you? Can I help you with anything? And I said, yeah, um, I need some saltine crackers. And I am not kidding you. That flight attendant looked at me like I was from Mars. You want what? And I'm going, I'm thinking to myself, 
Am I the first person to ever ask for saltine crackers in the history of aviation? Are you've got to be kidding me here, you know? It's, why would you want saltine crackers? Well, why, why would I? I'm, what, how do I look? You know? And so, look, I'm, in, I'm on seat 23A, so if you can get me some saltine crackers, that would be great. Because I hadn't had anything to eat then it was 10 hours and and I was empty and I was still feverish and I was just kind of and so I sat in my seat and uh, uh just before takeoff the flight attendant came and he gave me <laughs> two two little <laughs> square two little saltine crabs. I, I, I had more uh, communion time here a while ago. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I just... I said, thank you. He said, can I get you anything else? I said, yeah, can I have like, you know, three more pairs of these guys? I mean, you know. Well, sir, oh, no. When, they, when this guy said, well, sir, I was thinking, okay, I'm about to hear a policy. That's all I need to hear. I just, all I need to hear is a policy. Well, sir, you know, we had to break into these dinners in order to get you this two crackers that you had. And, you know, what we're going to have to do is serve dinner to everybody else and then uh, wait and see who doesn't have, oh, great, I'm going to get somebody else's leftover crackers, whatever. You know, I just want to. And and so finally then, uh, I don't know, about an hour later, then I got, you know, three more pairs, okay? Because, you know, 500 people on board, they had to wait to see, right? What's the statistical odds of that, right? And then they brought three more. And then they brought three more. And I'm thinking to myself, I just want, this is not the loaves and the fish here that's going on here. I just want my, I just want my little crackers so that I can try to just try to weather this 10-hour flight to Chicago. And then those flight attendant kept offering me. One time the flight attendant said, well, can I? You know, this is all you've had to eat. I says, well, can I get you some cheese pizza? No! <laughs> no, 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 no. I just wanted my little crackers and just a little sip of ginger. I really, I just want my wife. I want her chicken soup. It's, I want to, I want to go home. And I was sitting next to someone and that, you know, I looked and then I didn't see this person. I, I think what happened, they just got off at Honolulu or something. I don't know. I mean, they just, all of a sudden they were there and then they weren't. And, and be, I, you know, part of it was the flight attendant was going, you know, so you're sick. I mean, out loud. Like, yeah. I wanted to go home. And um, what's, what's the point of all this? What is the point of all this? Um, the point of all this is this. While I was just pasty and had chills and and feverish and nauseous, I wondered, Lord, did you ever get this sick? Did you you ever wonder that? Lord, did you ever get this sick? Did you ever get get the fevers and the chills and nausea and and some sense of traveler sickness? Did you ever get that? Did you ever ever get so sick you 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 had to puke your guts out? I know I shouldn't say that at church, puke. You know, puke, 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 puke. 
And sometimes we're just, you know, we want to sanitize Jesus, don't we? And then for some, it's like, well, that's just blasphemous. I mean, why would, you know, my Jesus would never, and that's your problem. My Jesus, you see. And we, we've sanitized Jesus into making some sort of mystical guru type of person. And, and well, what, what does Hebrews chapter 2, 17 mean when it says he had to be made like his brothers in every way? See, what does that mean when Hebrews 2, 14 says he shared in their humanity? I mean, what else would that mean, you see? Now, I want you to remember this as we read our scripture this morning. (laughs) Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. We're concluding a series leading up to Easter called The Test. We've been looking at the temptations of Christ in the wilderness. And we're going to look at the temptation on the mountain here in Matthew 4, 8 through 11. As we look at these verses, I want us to first of all consider what was the temptation? What, what was Satan enticing or luring or baiting Jesus? What was that temptation? We're going to see what that is. Secondly, I want us to see Jesus' response Now, you'll be able to read that response, but behind Jesus' response in this temptation, as in the other two temptations, is a story Jesus reaches back in Old Testament history. We're going to look at that story. What's the temptation? What's the response? And then what's the lesson for us today? Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came. And attended him. Now, this is God's word. After Christ resisted these first two temptations in Matthew's gospel, the Bible says that Satan took him to a high mountain, and Jesus was able to see, Matthew says, all of the kingdoms, and then there's this phrase, and their splendor. And their splendor, a very important phrase. And uh, some of your translations say, and their glory. And their doxa, doxology, praise, glory, density. All the weightiness of all of the empires. And Luke's gospel tells us in Luke chapter 4 that this happened in a moment of time. In a moment of time. I wonder what that would have been like. In a flash of time, in a blast of time, Satan shows Jesus the, the glory of the kingdoms of the world, the beauty of Babylon, the expansion of Greece, the power of Rome, 
the, 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 the China's Tang Dynasty, the global reach of Britain, wealth and affluence of the United States of America, the wealthiest country that's ever existed in the history of the world. In a blast of time, Jesus is exposed to the glory of this. The glory of this. Now I want you to remember what I just said about the humanity of Christ. His humanity. See, so often we, we just, we want to to dehumanize Jesus into, into this some sort of mystical figure. And when the scripture says that he took on flesh and blood, Philippians chapter 2 says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. That is, he emptied himself. What did what did the son empty of himself? Oh my goodness. You need to go to Urbana Theological Seminary for answers to that question. There's been books written about that, but I'll summarize it in just a puny sentence. <laughs> and it's this. Jesus emptied himself of the perks and the privileges of heavenly sonship. This perks and privileges of paradise in taking on human flesh. He who was rich, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He, was, he took on human flesh. He was born in Bethlehem. He was reared in a northern Galilean town, which means he had a northern Galilean accent. His parents were peasants, Mary and Joseph. Jesus did not grow up in an urban environment. He was a country boy. And here then, his human eyes, for the first time, sees the glory of these amazing, splendid empires. My goodness. And we sanitize this passage of Scripture when we assume that Jesus saw the splendor and it left him emotionally neutral. Think about it. He is seeing this grandeur, this splendor, and he's just, there was nothing repulsive about what he saw because what he saw was glorious. And human beings are wired to just, to appreciate glory, to appreciate splendor. We are. when I was in the Philippines, I, I was uh, lecturing on um, evidences for the existence of God. And uh, one classroom was full of seventh graders. And, oh, it was, it was beautiful to hear and see and watch these seventh graders understand uh, philosophical truths uh, uh, explained in, like, the cosmological argument for the existence of God. But they got that. And, and then the design argument for the existence of God. And then, uh, then one of the arguments for the existence of God that we talked about was the beauty argument for the existence of God. Alistair McGrath talks about that. And, uh, 
um, his book, Mere Apologetics. And, and what is the beauty argument? Oh, well, when you see the beauty of nature, when you see this beautiful waterfall, when you see the beauty of architecture or art, we're drawn to that. When we see the glory of that, we're drawn to that. Why? Because we're, we're, just, we're wired that way. And, and because we're wired toward this beauty, the existence of that which is beautiful implies the existence of the beautiful one who is over all and above all and through all and in all. And that one is our sovereign God. And so, my goodness, you, and, and part of the power of the beauty argument is that you don't have to persuade someone. Once you see what's beautiful, it, it, it's just like pops. It's there. You're immediately drawn to that. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You see a work of art. You think that's just, there's glory there, and you're drawn toward it. Or, or, or even something as individualized as, you know, this is why realtors make a living. They see the curb appeal of this home, and it's pops, and you want, it's the ooh-ah factor, you know. You see, uh, you, see, you see even a person, an individual, and you see their handsome figure, their shapely figure, the symmetry of their face, you see that drawn to that. Why? This is because we're human, that's why. And here Jesus fixes his eyes on the glory of the empires, the, 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 the glory of the art, the glory of the architecture, the glory of the culture, the glory of the military power. He's drawn to that. Very much drawn to that. And why? Why, why? why do we feel this pull toward beauty and glory and splendor? Why? Well, the answer is, the answer is because you have within your life something that God put, and uh, James uh, K.A. Smith, in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, calls this your love pump. Your love pump. Listen to this. At the heart of every human being is a kind of love pump that can never be turned off. It's a drive, it's a pull, it's a push to act in certain ways, to pursue certain goods, to develop certain relationships, to make certain sacrifices, to enjoy certain things. And at the end of the day, if someone asks you why you do what you do, you, you can't even articulate it. But the reason why is because you have a love pump. It's because of your love pump. Your love pump makes you want something. Your love pump makes you desire something. Your love pump makes you worship something. It's your love pump. Every one of us here, we have a love pump. To be human is to love, and it is what we love. It is what you love that defines who you are. And I'm not talking about I love chocolate. And I'm not even talking about I love my career. And I'm not even talking about I love my spouse. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about your ultimate love. I'm talking about that if you were to take that away, you would lose every reason for living. Every reason for living. Every purpose for living. Your ultimate love. And 
And if your ultimate love in that regard is chocolate, we need to talk. <laughs> okay? Or even if it's your career, or even if it's your spouse, you see. You see, what you love most is what you worship most, your ultimate love. And now do you see what Satan is trying to do, church family? Satan is trying to make himself the ultimate object of Christ's love pump. He's trying to make himself the ultimate of Christ. And he's, he, he is saying to Jesus, you, look at the glory of these kingdoms here. Uh, you've come for the kingdoms. I know that. You've come to be king. You've, you've come for those in this empire. Why? And it's because you love them. Am I to be the only one you don't love? Are you to love them, Jesus, but not me? Satan says. I want you to love me. And if you will love, if you will only love me, I'll give you these. I'll give them to you. Luke chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, And Satan said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. You can have this. You don't have to go to the cross. I'll give this to you right now. You're about to enter your ministry and, and, and you're about to, to start your ministry in, the, in, in, the, in Israel, in the land of promise. And, and, but you don't have to do any of that. I'll give this to you right now. I just want, just love me. And Satan was appealing to the very human desire, you know, to be wanted. You're working at your place of business. You've been grinding it out for years. Nobody's noticing. But then all of a sudden, another employer tries to court you. I want you, I would, I would like for you to work for me. And, you're, and you, like, you know, it feels good to be asked, doesn't it? And, and in a darker sense, you're struggling in your marriage and you feel like you're in a rut and somebody in the office begins to pay attention to you. And Darker thoughts are entering your mind because someone else is paying attention to you and we, we want to be paid attention to. See, we want to be wanted. And Satan is saying, I want you. I want you to worship me. I want, you, I want your love. And I, see? I'll provide for you. Your father's not providing. I'll provide for you. Let me provide for you. Do you hear what's going on here in these verses? Satan is not merely tempting Jesus. He's attempting to adopt Jesus. I want you to be my son. Let me be your father provider. That's what's going on here. Is that what's going on in your life right now? Satan is seeking a match. He's seeking to adopt you. Is that it? That's what was it here. How did Jesus respond? Well, we read that, didn't we? Away from me, Satan, for it is written, 
Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And that verse comes from something that happened in the life and the lips of Moses. Jesus goes back in time. Jesus goes back in time to the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 27, God tells Moses to go up to the top of a mountain. Pisgah. Deuteronomy 3, 27 says, Go to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes. And this, and this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Since you are not going to cross this Jordan. And why? Well, because Moses himself had sinned by not giving God honor at the waters of Meribah in the book of Numbers. And God said, because of this sin, Moses, you will not enter the promised land. You will only see it with your eyes. And so, there they are. The book of Deuteronomy was a sermon that Moses preached just before the children of Israel entered the promised land. And Moses saw this land. He saw the kingdoms that they were about to occupy and their glory. And then Moses came down off of that mountain and then he gave his message to the children of Israel and that's the book of Deuteronomy. And this is what he said in Deuteronomy 6.10 and following. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build so Israel is not undeveloped country. It's a developed country with cities and cultures and there's glory there and there's splendor there. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant and then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. And then comes the verse that Jesus quoted to Satan. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, Fear the Lord your God. Serve Him only. To fear God is to worship God, is to love God. Fear the Lord your God and serve Him only and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods. And as if that's not clear enough, Moses says, Chapter 8, verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God. Sounds like something my dad would say to me. If you ever, if you ever forget the Lord your God, and you follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you. My mother would put it this way. So help me, Hannah. I don't even know who Hannah was. <laughs> I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? Because they entered the promised land and they saw the weight and the glory and the splendor of those kingdoms there and they worshiped the created things instead of the creator. And this happened in the book of, books of Joshua and Judges and Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and finally God had had enough and Babylon went to town. 
and destroyed them, you see. And so just like Israel, Jesus is at the top of that mountain and he's being tempted like they were. He's being tempted to, 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 to put his love pump toward the created things instead of the creator. And Jesus does what Israel and what you and what me, what we failed to do. He resisted. He resisted because of his unswerving commitment to his heavenly Father. Worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. This conversation is over. Leave. And Satan left. And here's the point for us. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But at some point in time, you're going to be up on top of a mountain. You're going to be at a mountain. Maybe you're there now and you don't even know that you're there now. But at some point in time, you are going to be tempted to take a giant leap forward. I mean, you can see the land of promise. There it is right there. You're going to be tempted to take a giant leap forward at the cost of a moral compromise. You're going to be tempted to redirect your love pump, to redirect your love and worship away from the glorious goal. I mean, it's a glorious goal. It's splendors. We're drawn to that, but by an inglorious and ignoble means. You're going to be tempted to shade the truth, hide the truth, embellish the truth, withhold the truth. You're going to be tempted to check your morals at the door. You're going to be tempted to do this not for the rest of your life, but just for the rest of the work day. And then tomorrow morning, you can kind of get back on to where you were, you know. And when that moment comes, church family, and if it has not come, it will come. Mark my words, it will come. When that moment comes, this is what you're going to learn. It's what we learn here in these verses. And it's a truth that encompasses all that we've learned thus far in this series. And it's simply this. Temptation. Temptation is more than a test of your willpower. Temptation is a test of your trust in the power of God. That's what temptation is. Temptation is more than a test of your self-control. Temptation is a test of your confidence in the one who has all control. And on that day, on that day when you're there at that mountaintop, at that moment, and it's decision time, you're going to find out. You're going to find out who you are, and you're going to find out whose you are. You're going to find out who your real father is. And let me just say, the book of Deuteronomy makes it absolutely clear. It makes it absolutely clear. You will never get the blessing of God by breaking the word of God ever, ever. You will never get the approval of God by abandoning the principles of God ever, ever. And can I just ask you this question? If God has brought you, if God has brought you to this mountaintop, If he's brought you, why would he abandon you? 
Why would he abandon you at this point, you know? It's interesting. I read Deuteronomy 8, 19, but Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So God not only gives the fish, he gives you the ability to fish every Every skill you have, vocationally, educationally, every skill, it's come from your heavenly Father. Why would he bring you this far just to abandon you now? Why? He wouldn't. Do you know what Jesus Christ wanted more than the kingdoms? You know what he wanted more than the glory of the empires? You know what it was he wanted? More than that? unbroken fellowship with his father. That's what he wanted more than that. And do you know what he got? Both. Both. Do you know what we get when we want the glories of the kingdom and the willingness to break fellowship with the father? Neither. Neither. So my question for you is this. What is it that you want so bad right now? What is it that's pulling you right now that you're willing to break fellowship with the Father over? What is that? You know why Jesus received the palms on Palm Sunday? You know why? Because he was not willing to break fellowship with the Father to be the kind of king that Satan wanted him to be. He was going to be the king that his father wanted him to be. And that meant riding into Jerusalem on the little foal of a donkey. This little had to be tied to its mother because it was so intimidated by the crowds. He was going to be a king of peace. He was going to be his father's kind of king, not the tempter's kind of king. And that's why he went. That's why he decided, he determined. Listen to Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That He set his face. He was going to the cross because that was his father's will. Jesus knew who he was. He knew whose he was. Do you, do you know who you are and do you know whose you are? You know what my prayer for us is here? My my prayer for you is that there would come a day in your life when you would need to abandon something in order to follow Jesus. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for our church family here. I just wish that for us. I wish by the grace of God that he would put us in a situation where we would have to make it unmistakably clear who we are and whose we are, that we would have to make it unmistakably clear that there's nothing more important than unbroken fellowship with the Father. And if you bow your knee to some pseudo-father who is a liar and a cheater and a deceiver and an accuser and who would be more than willing to give the kingdom's to Jesus as long as there's no forgiveness of sins to the subjects of those kingdoms? <laughs> if you bow the knee to this pseudo-father, 
then you will never know what God, the true Father, might have done on your behalf. Every temptation tests more than your willpower. It tests your trust in the power of God. And Matthew 4, verse 11 says, Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Oh my. And Luke says in Luke 4, 13, that the devil left him until an opportune time. And you know when that was, don't you? That was in the garden. Jesus prayed. There in the garden, he got sick in the garden, you know. He got sick. He got, he got sicker in that garden than I ever was in that airplane. He sweat drops of blood. I just sweat. He said, Father, let this cup pass. Let's let this cup pass. I don't want to drink that. Then he said this. He said, it's not my will, but thine be done. I will not do anything to break fellowship with you. And he hung on that cross so that you could be in the kingdom that he is now sovereign over, the eternal kingdom. What do you want more than that? (laughs) 